Yes, you've arrived at the Legend Podcast at DaxMyHand.com. How did I become a legendary sports figure? How does anyone become legendary? It starts with a coach. Join us as we have conversations with coaches of all ages, experience, and expertise, and find out what does it take to lead athletes to legendary status. We're uh, here with uh, Circuit Court Judge Dennis Faust, uh, longtime Marshall County. I guess uh, Marshall County in your whole life is Marshall that lifelong Marshall County resident. Yes. yes. Well, Dennis, we like to start these podcasts off with a very simple question. Dennis, where did you first meet the legend Dax My Hand? Where did I first meet the legend Dax My Hand? Oh me! I guess that was when you were. Shooting rainbows, uh, from three point range at Marshall County High School, maybe trying to play a little baseball, but, but yeah, uh, I, I had, uh, good season tickets at Marshall County basketball games. Of course, uh, I was a few years ahead of you, uh, attempting to play basketball back in the days before we had Reed Condor Gymnasium. And, uh, so yeah, I remember seeing you playing basketball out at Marshall County. Was there anything in particular that led you to believe, uh, that I would become the legend that I have became? Was anything that jumped right out at Absolutely you? Absolutely not. Uh, would never have predicted anything like that. I mean, you know, uh, if, <laughs> all I can say is no. But I will say this. You could throw a baseball. I'll give you that. And, and you did have a, a nice jump shot that did help our ba- basketball team get to the semifinals of the state tournament. And uh, uh, so, you know, that was a good thing. But legendary status, nah, nah, nah. <laughs> you know, you're killing this whole podcast. Yes, I know. Okay. I know. I know that. No, I'm not. You, you're, you're wanting to be insulted. Let's face it. <laughs> Oh, it is a joy, I have to say, for sure. Exactly. So, Dennis, you, uh, you know, you're well known here in Marshall County. Most people know you as, as Dennis. Uh, you, you're, you're obviously the circuit courts judge. Uh, you do a lot of other things here. You're the PA announcer at the uh, basketball games. Uh, you help with Marshall County baseball. Yes. Um, so, so you got a lot under your, uh, under your belt. A lot of people even know you as the guy who started Little Dribblers. Well, I was the uh, founder of Little Dribblers. You know, that's one of the things that, uh, it, it's kind of funny. Uh, I'm, I'm getting ready to retire, uh, from the bench, uh, after 25 plus years as a judge and, and really my experiences in helping and working with youth programs well, frankly, they go back 40 years. Even when I was a teenager, I, I started umpiring and, and, uh, shoot, I did PA at the, the old Calvert City softball park. Uh, the Mesquita, uh, uh Haven, uh, used to be the only park in town. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I was, uh, the parks that we have across the road now, I was actually the original groundskeeper for those parks. People don't know that about me. Uh but but I could fix a baseball field back in the day. And so I was involved even as a teenager and forty years later still still working with things. Um uh but what I what I was going to say, um uh in my twenty five years on the bench, one of my proudest achievements was getting a drug court started. Mm-hmm. Uh and uh if you parallel that to things that I did have done out in the community uh and i don't think of them as things that i've done but you mentioned little dribblers and that was one of my favorite uh accomplishments was getting the little dribbler program started in fact your senior year in high school was when we actually started it mm-hmm. um but it was something that uh was in the works for two or three years before that I don't want to take full credit because I, the first couple of years I did have, uh, a helper who helped, helped me get it started. And that's our, uh, friend, uh, Jerry Hathcock. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. and Jerry, Mr. Actually, Penguin, Mr. As Mr. Penguin, most that's, would know. that's correct. Jerry was the other one who, but it was something that, uh, Alan Hatcher and I had kicked around for two or three years. Uh, we looked at some ideas about how to go about doing it. It was something that, uh, I go back to, I was a mediocre point guard at Marshall County, but I got to play. But I could handle a basketball. And one of my biggest pet peeves about watching our players at Marshall County High School, uh, once I got out of law school and came back and, and got to use my season tickets, was the fact that so many of them, most of them were right-handed. Not, not all of them had that left-handed legendary status like, like you did. You're, you're coming around, Dennis. Yeah, I'll get there before the show's over, Dax. Uh, <laughs> it just bothered me that 
all these right-handed kids couldn't use their left hand. They could not handle a basketball. And I thought, if we're going to be successful, they need to at least learn the fundamentals. Well, Alan was uh, obviously uh, here. He has a volunteer, and um, and I had already started running his little league program. Uh, uh, Rick Leeper, my high school coach, uh, drafted me into that job. So I was already, and that was one of the things I always laughed about. I did the little league program longer than I did little dribblers. But when you did the little league program, you were, and Alan Hatcher was the coach. You were basically working for Alan Hatcher. Well, let, let me interject right there. Okay. That, that's something that uh, Shane and I have kicked around a lot, the Little League program and what should be uh, the emphasis of it. But but talk about that. Talk about, um, you know, maybe back to Coach Hatcher, what he thought about the Little League program and, and, and kind of how, how things uh, went with that. Oh, Coach Hatcher was absolutely hands-on. Of course, back then we we started out, and, and Rick Leeper, like I said, my high school coach, was instrumental in helping Alan to bring it, the program together as a countywide program. Initially, each school had their own little league program. Uh, so you had the six elementary schools. And then they would pick all-star teams and go play a tournament. Well, in 80, I guess, 85, after I got back, uh, out of, after graduating from law school, Rick called me and said, would you be interested? Uh, well, he knew I'd be interested. But uh, we're wanting to bring together and consolidate the high, the Little League program into a countywide program. Consistent set of rules. And, and so we got individuals from each school uh, to help. We were trying to get make give each child, in fact, that's what we started out with, give each child an equal opportunity to develop his or her basketball skills by teaching fundamentals, uh, teaching the right way to play basketball. Teaching the right way to play. You know, that's a theme that runs through just about every uh, conversation we've had with the coaches is they ultimately get back to there's a right and a wrong way to play each sport. Yes. And the key is learning how to do it right as early as possible. Would you agree with that? Yes, absolutely. And that's what we would strive for. To back up just a little bit, going back to the little dribblers, the little dribblers was, to me, the final component as far as the basketball program was concerned because one of the things that that we wanted to do and we felt like and this goes back to my childhood from the time i was able to walk i had a ball in my hand it was either a basketball or a baseball now i wasn't big enough to play football and but had i been big enough maybe i would have played football too love to watch the sport but as uh coach beth used to and coach beth uh was my jv basketball coach uh in fact i played on the first team that Howard ever coached. So you were kind of the model for all the great uh, female point guards that he later brought yes, through the system. That's right, because we were undefeated also, yeah. Uh, I always had sympathy for all those great female point guards because he expected a lot, uh, and, and that was okay. Yeah. But but he would always say, he's not very big, but he sure is slow. <laughs> and, you know, that's, that's sort of where we go from that. Uh, but when you were 5'10 and not particularly – I mean – I had decent quickness, but I wasn't fast. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm not going to say that I might not uh, inadvertently throw an elbow or uh, try to do something to take an, take advantage every once in a while. But back back then, back in the day, it was just part of it. You dish it out. Nobody was dirty. Right? Did, would we push and shove? Get away with anything we could get away with? But again, we weren't out to hurt the opponent. Yeah. And you know. Accidental elbow to the stomach is not the same as breaking somebody's nose with a cheap yeah, shot yeah, or exactly. knocking their teeth out. But did we play hard? Absolutely. Sure well, we did. Well, now, and going back to the, I think we, I kind of took you off course there. That's all right. But, uh, back to the little dribbler. Right. So, so it was to give every kid an equal opportunity. Well, that's the way we started the little league program. The little dribblers was just branching back because what we want to do is get a ball in their hands at the earliest age possible and start teaching them. The right, you know, basically, again, how to dribble a basketball, uh, breaking it down, uh, and we would, uh, first few years we would have, we had two groups, then we had three groups, one year we had four groups, we had, oh, 200 kids. In its heyday, we would have 200 kids, uh, at the high school on cold Saturday mornings. We would tell the parents, you sit in the stands and watch. If you want to come down and help a little bit, you can participate, but, Listen to what we are teaching. And we would just break it down to fingertip control of a basketball. Just learn how to make uh, the basketball do things. 
and what I would always tell them is a basketball should be an extension of your hand. You shouldn't have to look at it when you dribble it. And that was one of the things that was the other pet peeve. Not only could players not dribble with their left hand, but they couldn't dribble without looking at the ball. Well, if you're having to look at the basketball, then you can't see the open man on the court to hit them with the pass that gets them a layup or now sets them up for a three-pointer. And I remember, you know, to interject for a second, I remember Coach Hatcher when I would, you know, as I had got to Marshall County and would work camps, mm-hmm. I remember him telling the younger kids, if you want to play basketball early, learn to dribble the basketball. Right. Have control of the ball and be able to take it where you want to go with it. Exactly. And that's what we tried to teach. Mm-hmm. And we would teach drills. And, in fact, I had I had the first little dribbler program in western Kentucky. I'm not sure that it wasn't even the first one in the state. I don't know that. There weren't many going on. We started it, and then other schools started picking it up. And, you know, uh, we were talking about your friend Scott Sivils. I know Scott took the program at Callaway County, and he ran with the Little Dribblers program. And, frankly, uh, I would go see, whenever I'd see Marshall County and Callaway play, I always would watch what Scott's program was doing because uh, he was was also teaching those kids the right way. Callaway's program flourished after he took control of it, and uh, and I always really thought a lot of what he did in his program. Our program, though, we got away from uh, in the in the latter days. I look back and see mistakes that I made. One of the mistakes was that I was letting sometimes letting what would happen. I wouldn't turn anybody down. I had one year I had a two year old, and what I would tell the parents, I don't mind them coming out here as long as they're not disrupting. If you see that they're disruptive, then come get them, take them off the floor. If it's not accomplishing anything. But we had a few. But then what would happen is after a year or two, then they knew everything. It wasn't that the kids knew everything, but the parents wanted more. They didn't need more. They wanted their kids shooting threes when they were five years old. Unfortunately, that's still the case. Dax, what I do not understand, and and my three kids are, well, I have one who will be a senior in high school, and he's not athletic. My other two played sports uh, some. My daughter's teaching school now. My other son who played baseball, he found out what injuries can do to a baseball career. Mm-hmm. Uh, he broke his leg and tore ligaments his junior year, missed all but two games his junior year, blew out the main ligament in his elbow his senior year, and that ended his baseball career, which he probably would not have played after high school anyway. He's gone on to other things now. He's in Washington, D.C. doing an internship this summer. But, you know, to speak to what you just said, I heard something interesting, uh, and I, I, I wish I could, could attribute it to the person that said it. But they said the thing about baseball is there's a point in time that every player either decides to quit playing baseball or someone decides for you. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And the one thing I wanted was, in Chandler's case, I wanted him to be able to make that decision. Well, he made it probably before the the senior elbow injury took place. And then it was uh, when we were still trying to figure out if he was gonna going to get to play anymore his senior year. He pinch hit at Ballard while we again while we were waiting for doctor's report and took a fastball to the cheekbone. He said after the game, he said, "I think the good Lord's telling me it's time to do something else." Yeah. I said, "I think so too." Yeah. But 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 then going back to the yeah. to to the to the basketball situation, and the thing of it is, what, what we learned is that parents need to let their kids learn how to play and and not rush them. We're too quick. We want to rush our kid. We we think our kid needs to be starting varsity when they're in the fifth grade. Yeah. Uh, there are a few prodigies out there. Honestly, what I should have said is fill in the blank grade. Yeah. Because some parent, well, you know, that's, that's a pet peeve of mine. Why, why is it not good enough for you to be the best kid in your grade? And, and, and this goes with all different kind of sports. Baseball, yes. there's always a rush to move your kid up. Well, if he's good at this age, he should play against older kids. You know, like you said, there are a few prodigies, but for the most part, you know the kids need to play with their age and develop yes. because because the kids the kids who stand out in fifth grade are not necessarily the kids who stand out as seniors. Well, in fifth grade they may be the biggest, strongest, fastest, and by eighth grade, oh, five other kids have caught up or overtaken them. Maybe they didn't work as hard. Maybe they weren't that good to begin with, but they were bigger, and so we lose sight of the fundamentals. It's it's almost as if we. 
we take size. It's like say basketball as an example, and you can also say this with baseball. Yeah. But we confuse size with talent. Yes, and it's not the same thing. Going to baseball, Chandler, he was never all that big, but he he was a decent baseball player. I mean, his his favorite players, the ones who he liked to watch play. See, I go back to when I played, Pete Rose. Charlie Hustle. Charlie Hustle. Okay, Dustin Pedroia, Red Sox. The shortstop for the Cardinals, Eckstein. Yes. Yes. Yeah, David he, that, he, he wasn't that good, but he was scrappy. And that was the kind of player. MVP of the World Series. Exactly. Mm-hmm. He was the kind of, that was the kind of player Chandler wanted to emulate. And that's, of course, being a Pete Rose fan, that was all right with me because if somebody said, hey, good job, Eckstein, he beamed and so did Daddy. Because that was the kind of player I wanted him to be. Parents lose sight. They want to push their kids too fast. Let the kid be a kid. And I've been there through experience. I remember one time I was ranting and raving at Chandler because he took three pitches in a tournament game over at Murray, got called on a 3-0 count, and he watched three straight pitches go by. And I'm yelling at him. And then I realized... Who's the idiot here? It was me. It wasn't him. All I was doing was harming his love for the game. And then uh, after that, it's like he said something to me. We had a we had a meeting or had a discussion about it. I said I'll never do that again. It's like why? But I see so many parents who are otherwise very good people get turned their brains get turned to mush when it comes to their kids playing sports you know uh, you know that's that's a key point and and i've been as guilty as, as what you're talking about i i sure have as a parent so so kind of talk about that there what should the role of the parent be in in bringing up a kid through the little league systems and uh talk talk about that. i think first of all the parent needs to be there for their for their child for their player i think Parents who know something about the game should certainly discuss things with them. After a game, and I learned this with Chandler in high school, I learned he didn't need me to tell him what he did right or what he did wrong. Tell him good good effort, whatever. But the parent needs to listen, needs to learn to listen. You need to, first of all, make sure that your child does have good coaching. And that's one of the other problems that we run into in our youth leagues and Dax, I consider you an exception as opposed to the rule because you've played, you understand the game. But for the most part, um, when you have parent coach teams, then, you know, there, there can be a lot of difficulties and you know, the oh, inherent yeah. difficulties. Uh, well, you and I off, off the record here or not off the record, but off mic have talked in the past about, you know, I, I coach Blake on the storm team. Right. And, and man, I look forward to the day where I can go coach a team where I don't have a kid on the team. Exactly. I think I can be a much better coach and mentor to those kids in a way like you're kind of doing now with well, the Bay Ruth With teams. the Bay Ruth team, yeah. yeah. I had uh, had a great experience this summer and last summer, too. In fact, Chandler helped me last summer, but he's not here this summer. Had a great group of kids. Uh, for the most part, they listened very well. Um, and that, that was one of the things that uh, some of them I didn't get to be around enough, but one of the things that I wanted to stress and I always tried to stress to these kids is that you're not going to hear me criticizing you if a ball goes through your legs for making a physical error. It's the mental errors. I'm trying to teach those kids the mental aspect of the game. Now, I can help them a little bit with some of the physical things. Okay, uh, if you weren't in position to make that play. Okay, here's what you need to do with your feet, things like that. Um, on turning a double play, maybe how you can get rid of the ball quicker. Um, uh, some of the hitting things I can help out with a little bit. Uh, a little bit on pitching, but not much. But where I think I can help the kids is encouraging them. Well, okay, I'm going to use Blake as an example. Uh, when we were, the game we played over at Trigg County, and... Um, he stole third on his own, and he got to third, and he said, was, was that okay? I, well, absolutely. I said, and I had told him, uh, because I knew Blake understood what was going on. He had the situation sized up, and I hollered out at him on the field. I said, take what they will give you. 
And they gave him third base, and he took it. That was the kind of thing I was trying to teach these kids. And, you know, you and I talked about that. I was really proud of him because – and I even asked you after the inning. You came over. I was keeping yeah, score. right. And uh, and you asked me, and I said, hey, did you give Blake the sign to steal? And he, you said no. Right. He said he had it on his own. And I, I had been thinking to myself – Blake understands how to steal third right. if, if Dennis wanted him to. And right. I was thinking that during the situations, and yeah. it worked out great. It worked out great. And, and, and I don't know that – I can't, I wish I could say he heard what I said and he went on that. Um, I'm, I don't know because sometimes you have to be around a kid a long time before they'll understand what you're really meaning. And and uh, uh, that was the first year that Blake had played for me. And uh, that's one of the things that I always try to teach the kids is do things on your own. Uh, don't make silly mistakes, uh, but I will tell you if you're not to do something. And then if you do it anyway, then I'm going to be upset. Or if I tell you to do something and you blatantly ignore me, then I'm going to get upset. Well, uh, let me let me interject, too. Would that be something that you would say that continuity in coaching – it would be a, a helpful. Absolutely, absolutely, and that's one of the things that again, that's where you go back. Uh, two things: one, the summer program that uh, uh, Mike Johnson has implemented at Marshall County. The sooner that he can get these kids at an earlier age and start teaching them the way his concept of baseball, the way he wants the game played. They learn to execute, and that's one of the things that I always try to tell these kids. And and I I did this even when I was uh, helping Don Bach, uh, because I I was Don's assistant for four years back in the nineties. Uh, in fact, I was assistant coach on our first regional championship baseball team. They needed me to get there, you know. Uh, so I had some legendary status too. You obviously did, and uh, I can tell you my uh, my regional experience basically was I believe we played one about about two games. I never started. I never got to start a regional game, and that's yeah. always haunted me. But, but sure, go on, Dan. sure. But yeah, I, I understand. Hey, I only got to play in one regional tournament game, and we got ten runs by Livingston. But we were in the second region then. But anyway, that's that's another story. Uh, and I nearly got thrown out of the game. <laughs> uh, I was disputing a call at first. I thought I beat out an infield hit, and the umpire didn't think so. <laughs> And I let him know that he was wrong, and he let me know if I said anything else, I was not going to play anymore. I thought that would be a bad way to end my high school career. Which is a great <laughs> lesson for kids. The yes. ump is always the right. The ump is always right. Yeah. And if the ump is wrong, remember rule number one. That's The correct. ump is always right. But anyway, we're, uh, we, you know, we were talking about that. Uh, of course, it didn't hurt that we had um, uh, Scotty Chambers uh, throwing smoke, and, and we had another guy named Darren Boatwright who could – uh, just he could pick the plate apart, uh, and then Trevor Parker had the best breaking pitch, and then uh, Corey Belcher wasn't a bad pitcher either. Yeah. So we had four pitchers who could beat just about anybody in the region, mm-hmm. and then we got a a bad hop that I still say cost us a state championship. I know people wouldn't necessarily believe that, but I digressed a bit. The point I was trying to make there is that I had been around Don. I knew what he expected of his players at the high school level. So when I was coaching summer league, I could tell them, if you want to play for Don Bach at Marshall County High School, then these are the kind of things you better be able to do. And if there's anything he doesn't like, he said, I would tell him, if you think that he won't strike you out on a bunt because you can't get the bunt down, think again. He will. I've seen him do it. And, and, you know, that goes to setting expectations. Yes. Each, each coach has a program. He sets his expectations. And if he's a smart coach, like in this case here, he had you coaching a summer team. You right. knew what his expectations were. He let the kids know, and you and you were able to get that continuity in the program. Right. And, and Mike is, you know, Mike's been here three years now at Marshall County, and he's getting that continuity in place now. Uh, going, you know, uh, with the middle school program, of course, I was instrumental when the middle school program first started. In fact, I was one of again. I was one of the ones who started it, mm-hmm. uh, along with uh, Jeff Sadler at Ballard and uh, Geno Miller, of course, who's at McCracken now. Uh, we all got together and, and started with the eighth graders, and now it's gone back to seventh graders. And some schools have sixth graders. We started out with six or eight teams. Now there's 16, 17 teams playing middle school baseball, and it's going to become state-sanctioned, I think, next year. Wow. Uh, so, you know, that has really taken off over the years. But, again, it goes back to you want to get your program in place. 
What better example than Mayfield football? Why is Mayfield football the most consistent program, uh, I dare say, in the state? And and, um, Pound for pound, there can't be a better football school in the state. Or athletic program in the state. There can't be. And why? Because from the time they're taken out of the cradle at Mayfield, they start learning how to play football the Mayfield way. And I'm exaggerating a little bit, but how much, really? Not a lot. And and you know the thing, uh, talking about Mayfield, that always amazes me is the amount of success that they've had without really a lot of star power uh, players. I can't think of just a ton of guys who've gone on to be superstars in college. No, they're good athletes in their uh, in their arena uh, or in their area, but it goes back to what we were talking about in the beginning: fundamentals, mm-hmm. learning how to play the game the right way. I'm not a football expert, but I do know this: the teams who block the best and the teams who tackle the best, they win. You know, my brother uh, played at Reedland, Brandon, okay, right. and uh, he used to read, uh, Mayfield used to be in their district, right? And I, I asked him, I said, you know. Brandon, you play Mayfield. What makes Mayfield so much better than you guys? And he said two things. He said, when they block you, you're blocked. Mm-hmm. And when they get a finger on you, you're tackled. Exactly. And, and that's why they win ball games. And they, they each know their role. Mm-hmm. They know what they can do. They know what they're supposed to do and when to do it. And and the expectations are there. Exactly. And, and then that goes back to, again, starting the Little Dribblers program. Start teaching the right way. Move that into the little league program. Uh, teach the kids how to play defense the right way. Uh, we wanted to teach man-to-man principles. That was always a big problem in little league basketball because, and we always, but we wanted to te- teach help defense. Well, at what point do you go from playing help defense into playing a zone? And then you have referees who, you know, you're you're not paying them a lot of money to begin with, and then you have parents who want to yell and scream at them. Mm-hmm. And we, you know, I, I, I think back to the days. As much as I enjoyed it, it was always so frustrating mm-hmm. uh, because parents couldn't see the big picture. But it goes back to you know what we were talking about earlier too about the kids. They always know. Yeah. And uh, talk about that because um, you know you and I before the. Uh, podcast we're we're talking and and again we're here with uh, dennis faust uh circuit court judge uh talking about sports dennis talk about you know berlin brower mentioned that the players know their pecking order doc heidig mentioned the players Mm -hmm. know if a kid is not playing he knows why he's not playing right talk about that And, and it's so true uh because uh and i always think back to when my daughter played softball she was not a talented athlete, but she was a smart kid. And if you could keep her in her area, she could do you a good job. Um, she tried pitching, but she didn't have a good fastball and it just didn't work out. But she was a heady infielder, uh, until she lost her love for the game. And, but she started out as a pitcher. And as much as we wanted her to be a pitcher, there was a, one of her teammates and, and a friend of hers was a better pitcher. She knew. The kids knew because they know and she understood that. And so uh, often mama and daddy don't, because maybe, maybe they do realize it, but they don't want it to be that way. Right. And I think that's where a lot of your coach, uh, parent conflicts come from. Oh yeah, I think so too. And, and, and certainly there's, there's a little bit of jealousy. And, and, and yes, I understand it. We all want our kid to be the best. Uh, but in terms of sports, uh, at the end of the day, sports is a game. It, it is, it's, it's, it's a, I'm 55 years old. I still love baseball. I still love talking sports, still love basketball. Um, uh, I'm down here tonight because we're talking sports and I, and it's something that I, that I enjoy. Um, I enjoy doing PA at Marshall County basketball games. Uh, you know, I've been, do, been doing that since, oh, 1991. And, and, uh, and I, for those who, who don't know Dennis, 
Dennis has a unique style in the way that he uh, calls a game, and and your uh, imitation of Mr. John John Tong, Tong yes, who ha- unfortunately was the Louisville basketball announcer. We he can't, was I, he was the best though. Doesn't make any difference. Uh, that's one place that. Uh, that's the only place I'll concede that Louisville had anything over Kentucky. I'm a UK grad and, uh, 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 no doubt about it. I'm, I'm a diehard Kentucky fan. Um, uh, uh, although I will, I have said I will not go to the final four next year if Kentucky's in it. I've gone to the last two and jinxed us both times. So I'm not going. Well, you know, Mr. Tong, you know, when I first heard you after I came back from college uh-huh. and you started announcing, yeah. and I think I ran into you and I yeah. said, man, you sound just like the Kentucky High School Athletic Association right. State Tournament yes. announcer. Yes. You, and I remember you telling me, John Tong, I had no idea who he was. Right. Oh, yeah. yeah. But, but you told me right away. But, yeah. but talk about what made you uh, decide to go with that style. Well, uh, that it was natural, honestly, uh, because I went to my first state tournament at Freedom Hall in 1969. Uh, and who won the state tournament that year? Louisville Central, Ronald King and Otto Petty. Uh, they both went to Florida, Florida State, state yes, yes, and got beaten the national championship game. Mm-hmm. Uh, four, I guess three or four years later, mm-hmm. got beat by UCLA. Uh, I, I tell you what, those early days in the state tournament, I saw some teams from Louisville and uh, Louisville Central, Louisville Mail, uh, uh, Shawnee. They were just great players. But John Tong was, he made the state tournament. Uh, that, as you said, that, that style, uh, because he could draw out any announcement longer than any human being on the face of this earth. And, uh, uh, and, and, but he was entertaining. But he was, it was funny, he was a dapper man to say the least. Always dressed to a T. And I dare say he would probably change shirts between games. I mean, he was uh, GQ to the max. Now, I didn't inherit that, but uh, he was a very distinguished-looking gentleman. You know, one of the greatest thrills, you know, because we went to the state tournament my sophomore, junior, and senior right. year. Right, oh, yeah. You yeah. Know, and, I, and I didn't get into a game until my senior year. Right, right. So one of my greatest thrills was scoring a basket and, and having John. I bet he said, goal by my hand, a three-point goal for Dax, my hand. I just got chill bumps right then, Dennis. You, <laughs> that's, I that's, was going to ask you to do it, but you no, did it anyway. I, I, I had to. I had to. <laughs> that was Sorry awesome. my voice cracked a little oh, that's bit. Okay. But, 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 uh, but that was a thrill oh, to hear absolutely. John Hong say your name. Of course it had to be. Mm-hmm. And see, that was the thing. I never got to play in a state tournament. Uh, we always got beat in the regional tournament. Oh, that was, uh, unfortunately, my senior year in high school was 1978. And we played, we had to play, go up against the college front line of Mayfield. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were 6'8", 6'7", 6'5", across the front. Uh, actually, we got beat by Tillman in the regional tournament that year, who then got waxed by Mayfield. I mean, Mayfield had the best team. Who, who were some of the stars on that team? From Mayfield? Yeah. Oh, uh, Don Hubbard, uh, Let's see, David Youngblood, mm-hmm. who later played baseball at Murray State. Really? I didn't yeah. realize Oh, that. Youngblood, he was 6'8". He could throw a baseball, too. Wow. Uh, and then um, Joey Shelton uh, mm-hmm. was a shooting forward. Mark Buck played guard for Mayfield and uh, Wes Mills. And then they had two or three others off the bench. They could play. Roger Fields uh, uh, was coaching them that year. His, his, I think it was Roger's first year coaching. Mm-hmm. And he brought them together and... Uh, I know we played them in December and they beat us by one point. Then they beat us by 17 or 18 later on in the season. We wanted another shot at them, mm-hmm. uh, but we didn't. Were they in your district back then? No, they were not in our district back then. Our district then, it was just us, Murray, and Callaway. Okay. And, uh, uh let me interject. I've got okay. a, Ro- I have a Roger Field story. Okay. Okay. That I, that it has to get out of me. Uh, uh I forget what year it was, probably my junior year, sophomore, junior year. And, uh, they were having a coaching clinic at Marshall County. Okay. And um, I remember Coach Fields, you know, at Mayfield. And right. so what would happen is the coaches would sit in the stands and the different first region coaches would show drills or different things, you know, that they were doing. Yeah. And so um, Coach Hatcher had us out there. We're at Marshall County as the dummies to demonstrate whatever was going on. Sure. It's in the summer. It's on my own time. Right. And uh, so Roger has us out there and he's, and I, I don't know him very well. I don't know him at all, actually. 
And so uh, he's demonstrating something. And we had, we had uh, completed a drill, and the floor was really slick. No one had swept the floor, <laughs> okay. you know. So uh, Chuck Watkins, mutual friend of Shane and I, is standing beside me. And so while Coach Fields is speaking to the coaches, I kind of turned to Chuck and said, man, the floor is really slick. And about that time, he turns around to me and says, what would you say? You know, and it kind of caught me off guard. And I said, <laughs> kind of like, he goes, yeah, you right there, 33. What would you say? I said, um, I said the floors were kind of slick, sir. And he said, let me just tell you two things. He goes, number one, he said, my players don't talk during practice. And he said, number two, I ain't the janitor. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that's my only interaction with okay. Roger Fields. Okay. That was it. Well, Roger, Roger uh, before he started coaching, he umpired baseball. And uh, he and my dad umpired a lot together. And so I, I knew Roger through that. But uh, my junior year, we were playing Murray High in the district tournament. In fact, the district tournament and regional tournament that year, they were played across the street at the baseball field at Calvert City. We we hosted really? both the district and the regional. Yeah. And wow. uh, and uh, we are playing Murray, and um, we were behind. I don't know, it was the bottom of the fifth or I forget, but we were, and I was up, had a runner on, and, and Murray had a pitcher by the name of Alan Gibbs, and he could throw smoke. But everything Alan threw, he had a rising fastball. And if it starts coming in the strike zone, you knew it was going to be up and away. Leave it alone. Uh, don't, don't even go after his high fastball. Well, I work him to a full count. And, um, like I said, we had a couple of runners on, and I didn't strike out much. I was a contact hitter. And, uh, uh, he threw a pitch and it's coming in, uh, outside part of the plate. And I'm, you know, I'm not going to lift my bat. Well, this time, instead of, uh, it doing like it always did, it never moved. Painted the black at the knees. I looked at Roger as he rung me up. I just shook my head and walked off. <laughs> uh, and then, uh, but later on in the game, I came around. We were behind nine to seven. We ended up losing nine to eight. And I did one of the stupidest things a base runner could ever do. I tried to score from second. And again, this is late in the game, uh, on, I was still a meaningless run, mm-hmm. but I tried to score anyway. The ball got there before I did. I stretched out as far as I could and I hooked around the tag. Roger was right on it. I, I, the, he, the catcher never has touched me, but he called me safe. Yeah. He was like, Whew. <laughs> Because that is like, I always consider myself a smart player, mm-hmm. but I always think I need to tell the kids that play for me when you are, your run doesn't mean mm-hmm. anything. And again, that's the kind of thing I try to teach kids today. Yeah. Don't, because that could have cost us the game. Right. You know, we're in a rally situation. Uh, my run wasn't going to win the game. He got us one run closer. In essence, your out is way more valuable than the run. Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. And uh, uh, we needed the out because uh, at that time there was only one out. That would have been the second out. Bad move on my part, but it turned out good uh, because I was lucky. Uh, and most umpires won't follow that call. You know, uh, but I remember the next day I, I talked to him and he said two things. He said, first of all, what were you thinking on the third strike? And I said, you know exactly what I was thinking. That pitch was going to go up and out. And I said, now I ask you a question. Had I swung at it, do you really think I would have ever touched it? He said, probably not. I said, I don't think so either. <laughs> and then I said, on the run, I said, I was thinking that it, has to be the dumbest thing I've ever done in my life. He said, you're right. You're right. I said, okay. But, uh, but yeah. you know, uh, that was just one of those things, but, yeah. but you learn from it. And that's an experience that I always try to teach the kids playing today. Mm-hmm. Learn from those type of things, but know the game. Always know your situation. That's one of the things in baseball that bothers me, Dax, mm-hmm. is that so many kids, they want to sit in the dugout and socialize. Yeah. Well, that's one thing I didn't have this summer with my players. Mm-hmm. They would come in and, uh, and they would talk about the game. They'd be focused on the game. What's the pitcher throwing? Uh, I had a good bunch of kids for that. I remember one time Blake, Blake got called out. Uh, it, it wasn't, well, let's just say it was slightly, well, it was eye high, okay? Yeah. Uh, he came back to the dugout and he made some comment referring to a rap singer who, uh, 
does illegal things. Um, and he said, he said, that pitch was high, as high as such and such. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I didn't know what he was talking about. So that's another thing about coaching 14, 15 year olds. Generation gap gets, uh, I learn a little, I learn a lot from them too. Oh yeah. That, that, yeah. That's a key thing in sports is you do learn from the kids. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and it keeps you young. Yes, it does. But, but you know, in a credit to the kids, they want, when the, the ones who want to learn, they're great. Mm-hmm. And the ones who want to learn, even sometimes you have to chew on them a little bit. Mm-hmm. And that's not necessarily the best way. And I've, I know I've heard people talk about, uh, you should never yell at a kid. Well, in the context of a baseball game, it's kind of an expected thing, you know, uh, but parents are the ones who, they don't need to get their feelings hurt. Yeah. Especially mothers. Yeah. And, and, and. But Dennis, that's their baby. I know, and my wife had, uh, has three babies too, uh, but I've told her, but she was always fairly quiet, but that didn't mean her feelings didn't get hurt. Yeah. Uh, and, and I understand that, but, uh. But you, and you know, to, to that point that you make there, you know, that's one thing that I tell my kids on the team, if, or, and I've even told Blake this. Yeah. If a coach is getting on you, it means he cares. Right. It's when he quits talking to you that you know you're done with him. Well, see, it's funny that you mentioned that because I had my drug court group together Wednesday morning, and I was talking to them about, th- about things. And I told them, I said, sometimes I may get irritated at you. I may uh, throw a hissy at you on occasion. I said, but if you do something wrong – and I don't address it, that's when you better be worried. If I get mad and go off someday in drug court, you know I care. And if I, if I quit doing that and you keep messing up, two things are going to happen. One, your, your, your life in the program is not going to last much longer. And two, uh, I don't care. Uh, and I don't ever necessarily feel that way, but you're trying to get them to do better. Same thing with kids. Yeah. Uh, but like you said, and I heard a coach once say, if I quit coaching you, then you know you're done. Now, you know, you're in a unique position as a judge. So kind of, kind of speak to the lessons that sports taught you that helps you in, in, in your job or in your role as a judge. Well, I, I, I think they're invaluable. One, uh, is the teamwork. Uh, sports sharing. Um, but as far as, you know, in terms of judicial philosophy, I think the coaching probably helped me more than maybe the playing. The playing, it teaches you an attitude. You, you learn a winning attitude. Uh, you, you want to be the best. You want to do your best. Well, that translates into my job as a judge. I, I want to always do my best. I want to make the best decisions. Well, in coaching, I want to, I want to maybe outsmart my opponent. Uh, I want to be prepared. Uh, so those things, preparation, knowledge, um, again, doing your homework. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that, but also the coaching helps you when you're trying to help somebody say in criminal court, yeah. uh, somebody on probation or somebody like say in my drug court program. Mm-hmm. And it relates most more to my drug court program than anything else. Because I had one the other day I said, if I quit yelling at you, that means, and I quit caring. I mean, now I don't always have to yell at you because if I'm encouraged, if you're doing well, you don't get yelled at, yeah. but you get told you're doing a good job. Mm-hmm. Same way in sports. Mm-hmm. Um, but I always try to encourage the kids. Even, uh, you know, there was one I got upset with one night in one, in one of our games. Um, but, and, uh, I was upset and I had good reason to be upset. Um, but I was trying to teach a lesson. Uh, I could have been much harsher than I was. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I went back and I talked to him and explained this is why and then he wanted to explain why he didn't do what i asked him to do i said that's not the point i said if you don't know how to do something we'll learn how to do it but here's why i had to have what i had to have and that's part of the again me trying to teach them and in baseball a lot of times kids don't understand why you ask them to do something well if they don't understand that's really not the point um, I got a kid thrown out going from first to third one night and he 
said, my bad. I said, no, it's not. I said, that was a bad read on my part. But what did you do? You did what I told you to do. That's okay. That's okay. But two things happened. He learned something, but I also learned something about him. Uh, Again, I misread it, but part of the reason I misread it is I thought the runner was faster than he was. Right. Whoops. Okay. I'll know now. But he, in essence, he learned to trust you. Right. And and trust the fact that when you make a decision, you're going to stand by that decision. Exactly. And I'm going to stand. And when a player does or when they make an attempt to do what I ask or tell them to do, and, you know, that's the thing. I don't ask them to do something. I tell them. Right. Although I had one kid, I uh one night I said, I want you to do this. He said, well, he said, what if I did this? Would that be okay? And I said, can you? He said, I can give it a try. I said, okay, do it. Mm-hmm. And he did it, and he, he did, did it well. That I thought that was a, he knew that something he could do. He was thinking, mm-hmm. hey, I'm not in summer ball. I'm not necessarily trying to, and that's another thing that sometimes we get into is micromanaging. Well, what I want to teach the kids is how to do it where, uh, where they're doing it and the coach can take care of other things. Uh, but I want them to learn, like I said, with Blake that night, mm-hmm. take that. When you see that opportunity, do it. Uh, I'll tell you a kid that, um, uh, well, I, I shouldn't mention too many names. It's one thing for me to mention uh, your son's name. Yeah. But there's another kid out there who he gets on base. He is the most disruptive player out there. I want him on my team yeah. because he makes things happen. Why? Because he understands the game. He is an intelligent player. Now, is he the most gifted player on the field? No, he's not. But he can put his bat on the ball. He's handy. He can play any position you want him to play. And when he gets on the bases, he knows what he's doing. Mm-hmm. And if the ball's hit to him, whatever the situation is, he'll 99 times out of 100 make the right call. Now, will he necessarily make the perfect throw? Not necessarily. But he gives you a better chance to win because he knows the game. Yeah. And that's the thing I, that I always try to stress to players. You know, going back, uh, what is it, George Orwell, 1984, knowledge is power. Yes, so true. Oh, and, it is. and in sports, it is. Uh, because you look at teams who win, baseball, basketball, football, they all buy into the team concept, and they trust their teammates, they trust their coaches, and they know what they're doing. Yeah. They absolutely they know. You know, so one of the things you were speaking to earlier was talking about preparation mm-hmm. and doing your homework. And, you know, the last uh, Andy Pagel we talked to the other night, he talked about – one of the things he learned from Coach Hatcher mm-hmm. was the preparation. You know, Coach Hatcher did, and you know this, oh. did just preparation to the nth degree. And he said, I, as a soccer coach, I do a lot more preparation than most other coaches around here, film work. And he uh-huh. said, I learned that from Coach Hatcher. Were there any things, you know, thinking of Coach Hatcher, I know you ran him a lot. Is anything that you took from Coach Hatcher that you still use oh, today? Uh, well, you start, you make, you hit the nail right on the head. Preparation, uh, and intensity. Uh, Allen was so intense. Uh, and he was, he had, he had a one track mind. But I remember the first, first time that, uh, well, I interviewed him. I was working summers for the newspaper, uh, when he got hired. And, and I, I still remember the first interview with him. Well, then I came back over Christmas and I was doing some stuff and, uh, and we got to talking a little bit and, and we, we hit it off right off the bat. And uh, he said, we're getting ready to break down film. They had just gotten beat by Tillman in the uh, Christmas tournament. And Tillman had a tremendous team. Yeah, Shumper, Shumper Arterburn. Arterburn, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, and they had just beaten us in the Christmas tournament. He said, we're going to – he said, we're getting ready to go down and break, go break down the film. He said, uh, you want to come back with us? Sure. I go back in the locker room, and he's, he's, he's pausing the film. He said, right there. And he showed something. He said – Next time we play them, right there, that's where we'll do this. And he was talking about getting an opportunity where we can shut down them offensively and get the ball out. And then he'd come down, okay. And he was, back then, he ran. Ran a whole lot more than he did under you guys. That's right. He ran a secondary break. Yes, secondary break. And he would show them. And I, I, I realized right then, 
we're going to beat Tillman in the regional tournament. Now, because, and then, then I thought, okay. Well, I have that year. And Tillman was rated, I believe, number one in the state at one at time. At one time they yeah. were, and they were a very good team. Mm-hmm. But we played them. I came back. It was funny. I'm probably the only person who's ever driven from Lexington to Benton to see a Marshall County basketball game. Uh, the day we played Tillman that year, it was the 84, 83-84 season. Um, we played them out at Marshall County uh, on Saturday evening. Well, that afternoon, Kentucky and Auburn played in Rupp Arena. Well, I was still a student. My dad uh, and Troy Truitt drove up to the game, uh, and I had a friend who was back here for the weekend. I rode back with them after the U.K. game, after we thumped Charles Barkley and Chuck Person, and that was always a lot of fun. Uh, uh, it's always fun sitting in the student section yelling at Charles Barkley. Oh, yeah. But i tell you what, actually, the fact of the matter was, uh, and, and I digress again because oh, I still remember – Charles Barkley's first game in Rupp Arena as a freshman. And um, everybody, who is that fat boy? Yeah. 6'6", 245. Well, after he worked out on Melvin Turpin for 25 points and 17 rebounds, fat boy can play. Yeah. yeah and he could. And, and you know, oh, we always love to torment him, but everybody respected Charles Barkley from that point on. Would you? Uh, and, and I'll interject, too. Would you have ever dreamed he would have become the player that he became? And the, no. And the personality that he became? Oh, no, 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 yeah. no. Um, but, uh, but, you know, you interject that. So watch mm-hmm. them come back, and, and then we beat Tillman that night. Packed house uh, at Marshall County. And uh, so I went back to Lexington the next day, but then um, had tickets for the SEC tournament. It was at Vanderbilt that year, mm-hmm. and I was sitting. I had sixth row seats in the end zone um, uh, behind the Kentucky bench, uh, and we played Auburn in the finals. Well, I missed the Marshall County Tillman Regional Tournament game that year when we came back and won the game. I got to, Benny Goheen got me a, a tape of it later, and I got to watch it. Yeah. Uh, that was one of the greatest games I've ever seen, high school wise. That's what I uh, yeah. I've, it, I've it seen was it. tremendous. But uh, so we go back down to, uh, for the Kentucky Auburn game, the SEC championship game on Saturday afternoon, and uh, Kenny Walker hit that hit that little rolled all the way around the rim and rolled in, mm-hmm. and Charles Barkley sat down on the floor right in front of us and cried. Cried like oh, a Oh, yeah, he did. Yeah. He, honestly, I kind of felt sorry for him mm-hmm. then because at that point you couldn't help but like Charles Barkley. Oh, yeah. Have you seen the 30 for 30 about the Auburn players, about he and Frank Thomas and Bo Jackson? I, no, I have not. Oh, you've got to watch that. Now, it I see, is I, fantastic. Is it one about all of them? It's about all three oh, of really? them. Oh, really? Okay. It talks about how they were all at Auburn at the same time oh, okay. and, okay. and their, okay. their impact on each. Oh sure, oh it's, sure. It's great. Well, I, I remember seeing Bo Jackson uh, in uh, Commonwealth Stadium uh, my last year and up there. I, I still, I guess I would prefer Bo Jackson because he played baseball also. Mm-hmm. But between Bo Jackson and Herschel Walker, I have trouble saying which one of them I thought put on a better show against Kentucky. Yeah, because uh, they were both tremendous running backs. I mean, just. What can you say? Yeah. But, uh, but I also remember, you know, it's funny, went down and watched that Auburn game, came back to the regional finals when we barely beat Callaway. You know, we had beaten them by 30 points in the district finals the week before, and then they missed two free throws with like two seconds left. We wouldn't have gone to the state tournament that year. People may not remember that. Mm-hmm. I'll never forget that. Yeah. Uh, and then we got to the state tournament and lost to Bourbon County. Yeah, I, I do. <laughs> yeah, that, that was a tough one. And Bourbon County ended up getting beat in the finals that year. Really? I didn't yeah, realize they had a good run. team, but yeah. but uh, but that was disappointing. You've been listening to part one of Dax's interview. To hear the rest of the interview, go on to part two at DaxMyHand.com. <laughs>